My name is Lakur Kudimsin Bathri, and I uh, live here in Akalirit in the midst of a brewing blizzard. And uh, I'm Greenlander Inuk, that's uh, also Canadian. I'm a Greenlandic Canadian Inuk. And what type of work do you do as far as art? Um, I have been involved in a dance form called Oyamnuk since I was a very young person. And this is a tradition, a mask-making tradition from Greenland um, that has both a pre-colonial context and a post-colonial decolonizing context. Um, and this dance is uh, it's, um, it's like an improvised clown act. Uh, where you play on the themes of um, hilarity, obviously, as a clown, but also with fear and with sexuality. These are kind of like the, the, uh, the palette that you draw from to, to create your character as you perform. Uh, and uh, the reason why fear is used is because, well, as you can, as already mentioned, that blizzards brewing, this is a harsh environment that we live in. And if you don't have the capacity within yourself to deal with dangerous situations on an emotional level, then you won't survive very long. Uh, you need to have your wits about you. So this mass dance teaches, especially children, how to deal with their sense of fear in a safe setting. Uh, and it's also a very sexualized dance because uh, it is something that is celebrated by the Inuit, that we are sexual beings, that our ancestors were able to give birth to us uh, and make us uh, and that we live as sexual beings on this spectrum you know what everybody talks about we have this we have our own expression of sexuality and everybody is in their own spot on that spectrum hmm. so that's what I've been doing for many years I'm also a poet and uh, a storyteller and I really love collaborative um, artistic projects where people come from all sorts of different different disciplines and we knit our work together. And how did you first become interested in that type of work, in that type of clown performance work? Is it is it something that your family worked with you on or did you find it in your own way? Yes, uh, my mother... Um, she basically pushed me into it. I think she saw inside me that I needed to do some sort of artistic expression like that. And then <laughs> one day I found myself performing <laughs> with her. Uh, and I was also trained by um, one of the uh, actors or one of the performing artists of Greenland that really brought this um, mass dance to the modern era. So the two of them trained me as a teenager and uh, I've been exploring it ever since. One thing I should mention is that um, I said earlier it exists in a pre-colonial context as well as a, a post-colonial one. Um, because it was such a scary, sexualized 
um, performance, of course, it got very much oppressed by the, the missionaries um, in the colonial period. So it just about disappeared uh, from Greenland, except in tiny little villages where, uh, you know, outpost camps where the missionaries didn't have as much impact. And then in the 1970s, when Greenland was going through this massive uh, politicization and looking for self-determination and self-government, this mass dance was taken into a, a modern form where you can talk about all these specific symbols and philosophies in a, in a very specific way. And it was one of those uh, performance acts that really, you know, thumbed our noses, gave the middle finger, you know, rubbed people's faces in how we are not colonial subjects and we're not Danes and we are Greenlanders. So it's, a, it's an act of rebellion, a continuous act of rebellion as well. And who is the main audience and what, what is the like, contemporary response to the work when you, when you perform it in today's society? These days, um, well, I do have a number of different audiences uh, and they're different because when uh, it's such a huge difference to travel from the Arctic to uh, places south of here. Uh, and these days I'm doing a lot of performance with Inuit for Inuit, staying here in the Arctic, which is uh, a very fulfilling thing to do, to be able to work with and for my own people in a performance setting. Uh, so the last time I did this performance actually was for this uh, huge play that uh, we helped. Uh, I belong to this Nonprofit society here in Nunavut that uh, is promoting for a performing arts space, um, which we don't have yet. So, when I say we, it's our nonprofit society, we organized this big play that had like these big epic themes where um, a group of people lived in a time where there was great light, uh, and then this light was overtaken by something that was quite dark. Uh, and then after that period of darkness, there was a renaissance. Um, and so I did Wailnuk to play the evil dark creatures, <laughs> which, is, which isn't the only expression of the mass dance at all. I mean, it's, essentially, it is not an evil character, but it's a lot more delicious to play the evil character sometimes. <laughs> In order to give people that spectrum of uh, human expression, right? Mm. We have all those extremes and it's important for people and that's actually a Greenlandic or an Inuit philosophy is that when you're performing, you give people the, the control of their own decisions by showing them an entire spectrum of expression. It seems like you really have to like step outside of of your human body in order to engage in that type of performance. And can you talk about your physical experience with that type of work? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the physicality of the dance is very much keeping yourself grounded, keeping yourself low to the ground, making sure that 
especially your uh, crotch and your genitals are very close to the ground because that's the connection that you're wanting to re-emphasize. Uh, and um, it's a grease paint mask, so you hide behind all this um, dark and red, um, greasy stuff, right? So it's a very sweaty experience because you're <laughs> crouched down so low and you're covered in all this grease. And also, uh, distend... We dancers, we distend our cheeks very well with a stick or balls or something like that. And that's, that's to symbolize um, testicles, actually. And uh, streaks of red to symbolize uh, vulva. But uh, that distension of the face really does change you into a non-human character because nobody ever has cheeks like that. <laughs> it's both freeing and alienating and... Um, exploratory and purposeful all at the same time. Mm. And you say that poetry is a big part of your work as well. And can you, can you talk about um, the content that you try to include in your poetry and what, what effect you hope that that has? Mm. Um, I write a lot about, well, you know, about what everybody writes poetry about, about <laughs> love connection to the land and but what I really try to do in, in the way that I write or the subjects that I choose to write about is to turn the picture that everybody's looking up upside down so that you can gain a new understanding of, of our society uh, and something I, I deal a lot with in my poetry is as indigenous people we don't own our stories unless we tell them ourselves because of the legacy of colonization, uh, because of that huge oppressive uh, force that we've been dealing with so long, stories have been ripped out of us in so many different ways. And until we tell them ourselves, they're not ours. So I try and force people to tell their own stories. And kind of along those lines, I heard that you were one of the founders of a performing arts center. And can you kind of break down what that experience has been like and how how that's impacted you and your community? Mm. Yeah, I've been a founding member and uh, uh, there's a number of us that have done this for the past seven years or so. Uh, uh, grassroots uh performing artists that are Inuit or have lived most of their lives here in the Arctic, uh, that sing, that act, that write. Um, and Nunavut is the only territory province in Canada that doesn't have a performing arts space. It's, uh, we create our works in our living rooms and uh, in garage spaces and whatnot. And even though we have such informal settings to, to create dance and story and uh, all sorts of different performance, there is such an upsurge of ownership and um, um, persuasion, I guess, in the stuff that we are creating that is so exciting. So we are all, the society is all, we're all so dedicated to that, that upsurgence that comes out of being involved in performance. So we've been a volunteer organization for seven years now, kind of working from project to project uh, funding that comes from our Department of Culture and Heritage or Economic Development and Transportation. But we've never been able to get uh, enough funding to have an actual 
full-time organization until now. Um, this past January, we won the Arctic Inspiration Prize, which uh, according to uh, people that have told us, it's like the Nobel Peace Prize for the Arctic. Awesome. It's the first time that I know it's so Congratulations. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's the first time that an arts organization has won this. And when we won, it was so incredible to be in this realm where we didn't have to we didn't have to fight to explain ourselves. People were all around us, not just people from Nunavut or people from Nakaluit where we live, but nationally, everybody around us was like, Yes, we understand the need for artists to express themselves. And we just floated around in this new world that we had cre actually created. <laughs> it was so exciting. And now we've also been able to secure uh, really, really great funding from the Canada Council for the Arts. And uh, we have a full-time executive director. And I'm actually about to start as a program manager. And I'll be getting some other staff too. We're for real now. <laughs> oh, congratulations. That's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so interesting how it kind of, for for grants and awards like that, it kind of snowballs. Like you you get one and people recognize. So they're like, oh, can I give you more and more? And it's, it's just exactly it. this incredible yeah. trajectory that, that becomes to celebrate the work and, and then allows you to kind of soar in this way. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't do it for ourselves. I mean, this is a project that, that's for all people here in Nunavut. Everybody needs to have creative expression in their lives. So it's, it's for the people by the people. Mm. And so is there a physical space now? We're renting an office at the moment. Uh, and uh, basically the way that we got the funding is that um, we, the funded project is to develop the programming that would exist inside a performing arts center. It's not like the, the bricks and mortar money, but we need to be able to develop all the programming that happens in there in order to justify building the building. You know, even though we can justify it with our words and stuff like that, we need to have a project mm -hmm. or a series of projects that, that does that. So we keep saying it's, you know, like a, like a dog sled. We've got one runner full of programming and another runner full of the bricks and mortar of a new building. You're a mother, and let's talk mm -hmm. about the balance of that space and the space of being an artist. And how do you, how do you create place for both? And how do you, how do you walk in both worlds and keep keep both in a respectful space? You mean my mother and my art? Yeah, yeah. All the energy that it takes to be a mother and to be part of a family in that way, and also. <sighs> continue to nurture your work it's a very busy life that we have <laughs> that's what it is 
but uh, in terms of uh, my relationship with my own mother, she's a, a hugely energetic force of creation. Uh, and she's always challenging me and encouraging me to do the things that I'm doing. So she's a great source of support for me. And uh, my three children are, you know, they're the very core of who I am. So they, they understand that it's very important to be an artist and they take a lot of uh, their own excitement and energy from, from the work that I do as well. It's just um, such a balancing act um, uh, with my husband and kids and being able to find the time to do all of this. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of work. But, you know, as you, as you work at creating space for yourself over the years, you start to develop a bigger and bigger space. And I uh, very much feel that I'm entering that space now, especially with this um, huge new uh, organization that we've created. It's a very welcoming and uh, exploratory space that, that I, as a mother, have helped create for myself, my colleagues, and my children. Mm. So you've kind of created your own flexibility in a way with your work. Yes, and my motherhood is very much based on that flexibility. I remember talking in so much detail with my partner about how I feel life animates because of being a mother instead of uh, you know, creating goals and linear ways of getting to certain places in life, I very much feel that the relationship that I have within my household is um, like the center of concentric circles mm. uh, where, you know, my children's growth feeds me and because I'm able to give that much more to them, they grow uh, and our families you know, in the middle of a nest. And opportunities arise because of that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um, I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Let's talk about the interpretation of where you see the future of Indigenous art, maybe on a global context or maybe within your own community. Like what What are kind of, I guess, your hopes or 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 your desires for indigenous artists? I don't think I have the, the right or the ability to talk about the global context because I can only talk about what I, I truly know for myself. Mm. Uh, but I can talk about what's happening in our community and what I hope for. Um, Nunavut or Inuit live in an atmosphere of all the extreme statistics and extreme suicide rates. And if you look at the Canadian news these days, the House of Commons had an emergency session yesterday on how to deal with suicide rates in Indigenous communities, especially in Attawapiskat. So we live in this atmosphere of everyone in Canada expecting us to do the very worst in everything, Mm. In terms of staying alive, in terms of being healthy, in terms of education, uh, there's all this expectation to be in a really crummy 
poverty-stricken state. And a lot of people eat that, right? From within the community as well as outside of the community. And it's the most... It's one of the most desperate things to see people trying to nourish themselves with that notion. So as an artistic community or as a person that's involved in, in making art and being around people who are helping support the arts, I know that everybody does something every day, a little something or a big something, to make themselves feel good mm. or to do good. And the more opportunity for people to see others expressing themselves creatively or the more opportunities people themselves have to create and express, the more they're going to be able to draw that, that expression of feeling good out. And when you have reached that ability, when you have gotten to that space or that place uh, where you can reach out and, and express yourselves from a very deep place, it's almost like you can rise up to like you're floating, like you're going up to this extraordinary level, right? Where you can see all the connections between different uh, issues and, and problems and good things and bad things that are happening in your life. You know, like the experience of having um, uh, an epiphany or that experience of euphoria, right? You get that by, by being above everything in that creative realm. And then that moment ends and you come back down and you have that capacity again to make more decisions and more ways of finding that, that thing inside you to express. Mm. So that's what I really see for my community of artists. It's almost as, art, as if art is a form of self-care. Very much so. It is a form of self-care. And how do you how do you practice that self care on a physical level to keep your mind and your flow active as an artist? Do you have you mastered any techniques that you could share to get enough sleep? Or <laughs> I don't know. Is there is there any tricks that you found that you can share with us? Um, my trick would be to spend time on the land. Um, my house here. Is, there's a street on this side of the road, and behind the house is tundra. And, uh, you know, 50 meters over that way, it's sea ice. So we get on our skidoos, and we go over the tundra, and then we head out on the sea ice, and then we go down to our cabin that we built from scratch ourselves. Mm. And that's very much where I find peace of mind, being in this very tiny space that we've built and kept warm in the middle of the tundra where our children are interacting with the weather and with animals and with the ground and with the water. That's where I find peace of mind to be able to look after my physical being. Yeah, it seems like connection to land is some as a conversation that comes up often in these talks and I think it's something really important to remind people about to like find place, you know, remember, remember we all come from earth and mother earth. And I don't know, do you, do you have any 
advice for people who might be a little bit displaced from their indigenous lands of how to find a way to retain that connection, like find that place wherever they may be? Yeah, I do actually. And it's actually by disconnecting. You know, like this whole, the whole journey of going out on the snow and out on the ice and getting to our cabin. There's no cell phone, there's no electricity, there's we melt ice for water. We disconnect from a lot of the, uh, the pressures of staying in touch with everybody in the social realm. Uh, we disconnect from commercialism, we disconnect from that need for more. We actually move into a very small space. Uh, so being able to turn off all of those, those uh, very mm, deep pressures to be uh, a consumer, mm. to be uh, a unit in the global context. If you have the capacity and you practice the capacity to disconnect from all of those things, you really will find a, a, a good place to mm. reconnect. involved with the hashtag call response project and um, maybe what was your initial introduction to the project and how have you received it and how have you began to work forward with it? My um, introduction to the project is also Maria Hutfield who's a a good friend of mine since what now 15 years or so (laughs) we were involved in uh, a youth artist in residency project together at the Art Gallery of Ontario in Toronto, a long time ago now, um, where we were getting uh, First Nations uh, young artists and Inuit uh, young artists to to explore different technologies and to be able to say they're exchanging stories. Uh, so that's the first time Maria and I worked together. And uh, her good friends or my good friends in Toronto and we were it was a very lovely time. Uh, and years went on, and she and I worked on this postcard project uh, a couple of years ago where her performance character came traveling through my land and my performance character went traveling through her land in Brooklyn in the form of tourist postcards. <laughs> we superimposed our, our characters onto these postcards in, in ways that were challenging and funny. It was a really good project. So we've, uh, and we've done all sorts of like writing projects together. And I was so excited to be able to do something else with Mia. And she's who's introduced me to everyone else. And can you, can you explain what your proposed project is and how you might be starting to unfold your ideas around what you're going to do? Sure. So the project, um, like my performance is going to be based on the mass dancing that I've been telling you about as well as storytelling and kind of um, 
taking components, like breaking it up uh, into um, different segments so that it can tell a bigger story in the end. Uh, and the reason why I am going to be taking this project on is because Nunavut is actually a very bureaucratic society. Iqaluit especially is a very big bureaucratic place. Uh, and that's simply because the government of Nunavut is the biggest employer here. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, in many ways, this creates an atmosphere of um, keeping your mouth shut. Right? You, mm. you can't say ill of the government because you are the government or you work for the government. Uh, and it's not actually a healthy situation for, uh, you know, I don't, a peri-colonial, post-colonial society to be so muffled. This is supposed to be Nunavut, our land. Uh, this is supposed to be the revolution, you know, overthrowing all the, the difficulties of being a colonized people. Uh, and in many ways, the government of Nunavut is doing the opposite of that. So I want to be able to intersect uh, a public space to say there are so many different things that we need to talk about in a political way. And it's good for us. It's not scary. Hmm. How do you think so, people are going to engage with that? I mean, there's so much fear around being vulnerable in that way. Like, I mean, how are you going to hold that space? Um, I'm not too concerned about holding the space because I've been given so much um, energy from the mass dance. Like the mass dance is such mm. an in-your-face challenge, right? And, and it's given me that capacity to say, you know what? It's not about me being afraid at all. It's, it's about asking you what your fears are, you people that are watching. So that's not what I'm uh, fearful of. But I'm not sure how people will take it. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I have been asked by the government of Nunavut to perform at um, whatever high official functions here and there. And the last time they asked me, they canceled it last minute because apparently I'm too outspoken, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> You're like, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I want to be challenging in a very gentle way. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing as Inuit as our own individuals. Uh, my mother uh, has written a great deal about this triad uh, that Inuit and Greenland use to express themselves and also to make decisions. Uh, and this triad is called through the breath, through the spirit, and through the body. And Greenlanders always find that balance in life by making sure those three things have their own personal balance within themselves. So that's kind of the approach I'm taking to, to creating the sounds and creating like the platform for the performance, making sure that people feel grounded uh, through their bodies, 
that they feel uplifted through their breath and that they feel um, both present and transported through their spirit. Yeah, and that's basically like the, the concept is breaking up those three concepts of through the body, through the, the spirit, and through the breath with the uh, idea of fear in the mass dancing and of uh, happiness in expressing your sexuality through the redness and that we care so much for our family. In the end of the performance, I want all these children to speak in Nuktitu because they can. And the performance is supposed to end anyway with this kettle that I've been boiling throughout the whole thing. And at the end, the kettle's going to be whistling and somebody's going to have to come out of the audience and turn the stove off and make tea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and I think that, that that way of being clear and being graceful in your like projection of your clarity is so important for us right now. Like finding that way to come come with love in order to not have people be defensive. And it sounds like you're really interacting with that and and playing with that and understanding that. And I I think that's a very, very strong, powerful tool that we we can use today if we recognize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. I like that word. Graceful. Graceful. That, the, the, yeah, the idea of being graceful in the presentation of it. So right along the lines I was thinking. <laughs> awesome. And what is your, um, who are your respondents or who is your respondent for this project? And how, how is that going to play into your work and, um, and carry your work further with this hashtag called Response Project? Um, there's a few people. At first, I thought I was going to use um, this uh, or ask this one group that I'm involved with to be my uh, respondent group. Uh, and they're sort of like a, a group of um, well-educated Inuit that are part of the bureaucracy but are very sensitive to how the bureaucracy is very oppressive to, to people. Uh, and they're involved in... Uh, just inviting people for political discussions over lunch and also for not necessarily agitating, but more like uh, inviting people to ask questions more. Uh, so there's a few people, not everybody's got the time or um, the interest to be involved, which is totally fine. There's a couple people from that group. And then there's also a couple people from uh, our performing arts society that are interested in being able to watch and then being able to be involved in a conversation, not just about the, the performance, performance itself, but whatever comes to mind, like other stories that, that the performance hopefully will remind them of. So they will be engaging in the actual time and space that you are engaging in? Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to hear how it all how it all goes down (laughs) me too (laughs) i'm also excited to see how it'll go down (laughs) it's gonna go down in the next month or so oh it will okay and what are your thoughts or your interpretation of the term reconciliation 
That's a very good question because it's something that we deal with in all sorts of different ways. And I think that the word reconciliation and decolonization, they run the the risk of being overused uh, because people are trying to be so politically, I mean, white people are trying to be so politically correct and saying, well, of course, yes, we need to be in this decolonized process where we reconcile. Um, Come on, show me how to do it, which is not how it's supposed to go at all, in my view. And as I've been talking to you about, there's been this huge cloud of oppressive activity for a very long time for very many of our peoples. And reconciliation is letting Indigenous people express themselves about that cloud of oppression and letting uh, Indigenous people within our own communities have our conversations without uh, having to explain ourselves to other people and people listening to that. So storytelling in the way that many Inuit do storytelling is that, or the mythology that we have and the way that many people tell this mythology is that you tell the story and you use your own artistry to create the picture of the story and the trajectory of the story. But once you finish, you don't give a lesson on the morals or the values or what you're supposed to do in your life. You just you tell it. Mm. And people are supposed to make their own decisions of what they are to do in their lives because of hearing that story. And I think reconciliation is very much along those lines too. We need to be able to tell our stories because it's in our blood, like actually in our blood, right? The historical trauma is very much a part of who we are, but also the historical success is also in our blood. And it's so important for us to be able to talk to our family members, to talk to our neighbors and talk to the structures that we have created in this post-colonial realm, like actually address them and say, are you helping or are you just existing? Or what is that little piece of goodness that you do every day? Tell me more about it. Or what is that thing that is overwhelming you and stopping you from being able to express yourself? Not like digging into people, but giving them the the arena to be able to look through those layers themselves, right? And we need to be able to take our own time and space to do that. And non-Indigenous people who are living on our lands and engaging in the same government system as us need to listen and then make their own decisions about how to continue. And what is the most important part for you personally being involved in the hashtag call response project? Well, I mean, the biggest thing for me is that I'm so honored to be a part of this group of amazing women uh, from all over the continent, really. Uh, And it's so important that we're going to be able to uh, speak to each other because the whole idea is that that uh, we have it within ourselves as peoples, and especially uh, when we listen to women who are creating, these stories are going to be fulfilling for more people in the communities. Mm. So that's amazing. 
What advice in your life has influenced you as artist? Is there one thing that has come back for you again and again? Yeah, there is one thing. Um, I mean, as a performer, you don't leave yourself behind, or at least I don't leave myself behind when I perform. Uh, I bring my full being into the performance, and uh, the lasting advice for me, has been from my mom. Uh, when dealing with any nervousness or even, you know, turbulence in your belly or whatever, she said, just make it a part of the performance. And it works every time because you are truly expressing yourself that way. And, and um, having a physical space to make your art versus um, performance in any given moment or space or stage. Like, can you, can you talk about um, how other artists might be able to claim, claim a space through their work? Like, is there any ritual or ideas that you set up in your mind to be able to hold a space? Is there any advice you can offer in that way for performers? Yeah. Um, well, a couple different things. Uh, in the first place... It's very important to be able to quieten your mind um, or quiet my mind before entering the performance space. Um, you know, sometimes it's good to be with a group of people who are going to be with you in the performance. And sometimes you need to just be on your own for a while to concentrate on the words and, and the actions and breathe cleanly and, and that kind of a thing. And... I often deal with like the way that I get stage fright or nervousness before a show is I always, why did I even agree to do this? This is ridiculous. This is terrible. <laughs> uh, but then I'll quieten myself and I go onto the stage or I go into the performance space and it's just fine. It's absolutely just fine. Uh, and I'm living through my own body and living through my own eyes. It's, it's a great place to be in. And then afterwards, it's also important to close yourself again. Because in performance, you're so wide open. You're reaching right into the middle of your heart to be able to pull things out and, and explain them to people. And, I mean, every, different, every person will have their own way of closing off again. But it's important to do that because otherwise you make yourself too vulnerable and you can get hurt easily. Um, and again, it could be with spending time with people. Uh, going over the details of what just happened and celebrating and that kind of thing. Or it could be just another couple minutes on your own just to thank yourself mm. for being able to do that. Yeah. And, and actually, in terms of having personal space, um, I think I was mentioning uh, the last time we spoke that it's actually very difficult here in, in Nunavut uh, or in the Arctic to find your own space to create and practice um i was just yesterday at my friend's uh, metal studio 
and there's this tiny decrepit house that doesn't have any uh oh actually it does have plumbing now but it didn't before um <laughs> and he made all of his workbenches out of um scrap wood and he has a hood uh for uh, letting the you know chemical fumes out of his workspace outside it's made from the nose of an airplane that he found at the dump wow <laughs> That's awesome. uh, it's an amazing, magical place. Every time I go into his studio, it's just full of crackling magic and happiness. Uh, yeah, and so I've gone through this, I suppose, an epiphany in the past uh, year or so where I do mass dance uh, on, in performance uh, and I do incorporate mass dancing um, outside of the actual act of mass dancing, I use the, the concepts in, in uh, my writing and in my um, uh, w- the words I use on stage and whatnot. But I just realized that over many years, you know, I go to the gym and I get onto this treadmill and it's so boring and <laughs> lifting dumb weights. And I never fit into that crowd, but I do it because I need exercise. But then I had this epiphany where I can use a squash court at the gym as my temporary studio. Ah. <laughs> Book it uh, as if I was a squash player and then bring in music and bring in all sorts of props and whatnot so that I can move through the space and specialize into my movements and concentrate on the body positions that will give me strength to be able to pull my characters out. It's such a freeing thing. That's brilliant. It's such a great way of like making, making space for yourself, even if the context doesn't exist, even if there's not the art space, you, you can find a way. I, I just think that's freaking brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah and what the the thing about the squash courts that i use here is that there's windows from the lounge above and you know people can watch that's fine who cares <laughs> i'm working on my craft and it's very good for me <laughs> i also wanted to ask um how do you keep your trajectory as artist And what is it in your life that keeps you fascinated to keep creating? The trajectory for me, I think, is having this close parallel between um, using artistic expression and being able to critically analyze the society I live in. And yeah, the two of them are always sort of dancing together. And that's important to me, actually, that... uh, I can use my creative expression to make uh, a political thought, and I can also use my political understanding to make creative expression, and vice versa. And really, I've always been so passionate about um, working with Inuit and for Inuit, and I get so much satisfaction, especially out of collaborative um, work, collaborative artistic work using our language and um, helping people feel supported, even if they don't speak the language as fluently as they would like to. Uh, and it's actually, you know, it's only a town of, or a city of 8,000 people. 
uh, and Nunavut itself is a territory of 30,000 people. So it's not a very big place. But when we do performance here, it is so, so satisfying because we're in the community doing things for the community. Uh, I can go do a performance in Toronto, you know, with thousands of people in a square, and that's very exciting and whatnot. Uh, but it's so fulfilling, even when there's, you know, 150 people of the people from town here hmm. coming to watch. And now, do you have any advice to offer to other artists out there who may be in the beginning points of their career, um, may be feeling a little bit isolated in their work or their practice? Do you have anything that, through the scope of your work, you might be able to share um, with them to kind of keep them inspired and keep them keep them working and creating? Mm. Uh, just the other day, I read this fantastic article about, um, well, to give you the context here in Canada, uh, there is a very, very high suicide rate amongst Indigenous peoples. And there's a community called Attawapiskat that just declared a, a state of emergency there because young people are attempting suicide in just mind-blowing proportions. And um, these days, uh, there's, well, the Idle No More movement as well as the Black Lives Matter. Mm. Uh, and people from those two groups have been uh, combining their, um, well, supporting each other. And now there's groups of people in three different cities in Canada now that are occupying the Indian Affairs offices to uh, show solidarity with Attawapiskat and just to say, this is enough. We can't keep having all our young people killing themselves. Even one person killing themselves is a tragedy. And when there's 11 people over a single weekend that have tried to kill themselves, it's just mind-blowing. Mm. So I was reading an article about... Um, why is the answer relocation? And if the answer is relocation, what is the question? And she said, the question is, maybe, is it possible to move you off of your lands because it'll be easier for us? And the answer is relocation. Mm. So she said, you know what? The issue is not isolation. The issue is colonization. And that's just been making me float for the past couple of days. It's so true. It's not that you're isolated. It is that as Indigenous people, as Indigenous artists, we're climbing through the layers of colonization to be able to communicate and express to one another. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's a really important thing. And I think it's very important to remember the power of language, you know, and how we attach notions and feelings with words, especially in dealing with such sensitive situations like colonization, um, suicide, etc., and and how they tie into each other, and recognizing that. So, thank you for sharing that. Mm. Yeah, I've been very uplifted by reading these things in the past few days because enough's enough. We need to be able to express our way, ourselves in a deeply creative way.
now is the soapbox moment. So the last question was kind of speaking to the artists and now Mm -hmm. allowing this podcast to be your platform. So if you could say one thing to the world, what would it be? I want to say that our blood has memory, and that's quite real. Tonight I'm going to be lighting uh, an oil lamp for the community to begin its uh, spring festival. And, you know, this oil lamp hasn't been a part of my life, my entire life, having been educated in the South and uh, having traveled and whatnot, my mother being educated in the South. Uh, But I can light this oil lamp and I can feel my hands remembering all those details of how to do it. And that is so very important to be able to express yourself, to realize that despite all the other things that are also in our blood, the traumatic historical trauma and uh, the difficult things that you see on the streets and whatnot, our blood also remembers how to do wonderful healing things. Yeah.